So we're going to talk a little bit about being passionate this morning. I mean, I don't know about you. I like being around passionate people. There seems to be a lot of passion in the room with all these babies. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, we have friends who've just had a baby and they're, you know, you sit around the dinner table and all they want to talk about is baby stuff. Now, I have a, you know, a near 13-year-old and a 10-year-old. And, you know, as parents, we're passionate about our kids, aren't we? I'm sure for you guys, you're passionate about your children. And you're passionate about what you, what's happening here today. The passion for your kids will never, ever go away. We are passionate here at City Church about being family. And we're passionate about being family because we love adding to it. God has broken into our lives. And so when that happens, you can't help being passionate about it. And today we're going to look at Scripture and look at the Apostle Paul's passion. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Uh, We're on a bit of a journey together across all the sites, working our way through the book of Corinthians. And um, if you want, there's some Bibles. Can somebody grab a stack of Bibles here? If you've uh, come to church and you haven't got a Bible with you, then this very handsome man will pass out some Bibles. (laughs) That would be a whole new (laughs) meaning to Bible bashing, wouldn't it? (laughs) That's it. So, uh, and and also, if you've come and you, you know, if you haven't got a Bible at home, there's a gift for you. So please take one, hang on to it, and uh, yeah, read it, and maybe start a bit of an adventure and a journey. We're going to be reading in chapter nine of First Corinthians, and if you don't know what Corinthians is, it's a letter to a community uh, in the ancient city of Corinth, and and to be honest, they're very human people with loads of issues going on in their lives. And to be honest, they're very passionate people, but often their passions were misdirected. And here is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a community of believers who uh, he wants to challenge to run a really good race. And uh, we're going to jump forward in chapter 9 to verse 15. And this is where we're going to start. I'll come back and talk a little bit about the first sort of uh, one to 15 verses. This is Paul speaking. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than to have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. And, not, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, or in some translations it says, to those who are not Jews or Gentiles, I I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, 
to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So I want to kind of um, expose us to Paul's passion today. You know, when you're around people who are passionate, it becomes infectious, isn't it? You know, when people are enthusiastic about something, it's very easy to start to catch that passion. And here in this passage that we've just read, we're capturing something of the passion of Paul's life. And it is the gospel and the good news of Christ. It says there in verse 15 where we kicked off, it says, but I have not used any of these rights. Now, just to surmise the first uh, 15 verses. What's going on there is Paul is sort of saying to the church, there are times in our lives where we need to jettison the good to get the best. There are times when we may have the right to do certain things, but we need to put those rights aside because we have a bigger priority at work. And the priority for Paul was to make the gospel fully accessible to all kinds of people. And in Corinth, what was going on was that there was a group of, you know, sort of um, philosophical peddlers would come to town and they would be sort of preaching the latest fad or bringing the latest philosophy to the city. But you would have to pay a fee to hear it. Or you went into their sort of philosophy classes and you paid some money and then you got the wisdom. You see, and so what Paul is into this context, Paul's saying, hey, I'm an apostle. I've met with Christ. I'm like one of the 12. I'm just like Peter, James, and John. And they have the right to bring their wives with them when they're on a road trip. And they have the right for the church to financially back them at times in their ministry. But Paul jettisons that because he recognizes in the context of the Corinthian city, there was a bunch of people who were kind of not so much conning people, but they were, you know, religious speakers and they were doing it for money. And so like many people in today's society, there is a cynicism in that culture that says, you're just doing this for money. And here Paul is going, no, no, no. I have the right to receive support from you, but I'm not going to take that. Instead, I'm going to work with my hands. And if you read that, he becomes a tent maker. And so, you know, he he is he's he's financing his own missionary trip, if you like, because he doesn't want any ambiguity when it comes to when he preaches. It's for free and that his agenda and his motivations are pure. And so his passion to engage with people and to see Jesus break into people's lives, he, he pushes aside some of the rights that he has so that he can make the gospel as open and as accessible uh, to as many people as possible. So that's what he, when he says, I've not used these rights, that's what he's referring to. So... Um, I want us to look now at just a little bit of the language that Paul uses here. Look at what he says um, in verses 16 onwards. He says this. He says, um, I cannot boast for I am compelled to preach. 
woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And then, you know, so he's saying, I'm compelled. And also, he is deeply motivated. And if he doesn't get the opportunity to do it, he's saying, well, woe unto me. Now, I don't know what picture comes to mind when um, I read those kind of descriptive words. But there's certainly a deep inner compulsion in Paul's life that he's bursting with a message. And that message is a good news message. I don't know how many of you, I mean, obviously we're on the pregnancy illustration today, you know. But, uh, you know, when you, when you fall pregnant, not that I would know, just easy now, you know. Um, that it's good news, isn't it? You know, I don't know how it was for you guys when you found out you were pregnant. But when Victoria and I found out that she was pregnant, we were really, obviously, over the moon. But, you, you know, you generally find out when it's about six or seven weeks in, don't you? And then you go, you know, this is brilliant. We'd love to tell somebody who we're going to tell. But let's be honest, let's wait, you know, as well. So we decided, me and Victoria decided, we're going to tell the parents. So... Now, you, you have to understand something about my parents. My, uh, they're rubbish, absolutely, especially my dad, rubbish at keeping secrets. So I, I remember picking up the phone and phoning him and saying, and I got my mum. I said, mum, you'll never guess. She said, what's happened? Because they always think negatively, don't they? <gasps> you know, parents. And I said, mum, we're pregnant. So she's like, wow, that's brilliant. I said, but mum, there's bad news. <gasps> what? What? I said, mum. You can't tell anyone till week 12 because then you go for the scan, don't you? So my mom is now had great news, but she can't tell anyone. Right. For the next four weeks, a month, my mom is like, you know, engaging with friends. And it'd be like she'd be, you know, having a chat with like her friend Ruth, you know, and she'd be like, oh, how are you doing? And then she'd be like, oh, you'll never guess what's happened to our Jamie. I went Yorkshire then, didn't I? You know, and, you know, and, and, she, and then suddenly she'd have to stop herself because suddenly she's realizing she can't tell anybody. But she's got this amazing news that's going to change not only our lives, but her life. Listen, week 12 comes by. And I phoned him up. I said, Mom, we've got the scam. We've seen the heart. It's all exciting stuff. You know, you can go and tell people now. And I'm not exaggerating. I reckon within three hours, we had phone calls, emails, smoke signals from across, across the globe with congratulations, you're going to have a baby. The Apostle Paul is pregnant with amazing news. And that's coming from a deep personal encounter with Jesus. You might have heard that saying, you know, I had a Damascus Road experience. Do you know where that comes from? Well, it comes from Paul's story. Here is a man who is hell-bent on destroying this embryonic movement of Jesus' followers. A group of people whose lives are being transformed. Paul is on a mission to eradicate them. He's not passive about being anti-Christian. He is evangelical about it and he is after them 
And if you read more about Paul's story, it talks about how he's been given and granted permission by the local council, if you're right, the local authority, to go to a city to find out who these Christians are, to round them up, and actually to throw them in prison, and for some, to be murdered. And so his whole trajectory in life is based about now, I want to eradicate this life. That's quite powerful, isn't it? Very strong direction, very passionate about it. And as he's on this road, thinking he is doing the right thing, totally convinced of it, it says in chapter 9 of Acts, suddenly a bright light appears to such a degree that it throws him off his horse and he lands face down. And he meets a resurrected Jesus. Now, can you imagine? I don't know about you guys, but for me, I mean, there's been times in my life I have been utterly convinced of something. Generally, it's like, I put the car keys down there. Yeah, you ever been there, any of us blokes? You know, and you would be like totally convinced of it. You're like, no, I definitely did that. And you, you know, you're ready to go to the mat over it. And then your 12-year-old goes, yeah, but dad, here they are in the toilet. What are you doing? You know, you're totally convinced of something. And then it, you realize you're really wrong. It's highly humbling, isn't it? When you think about that on the scale of what's going on here in the Apostle Paul's life. Utterly convinced. And then this voice from heaven Why are you persecuting me? In that moment, Paul thinks, oh boy, we're in trouble. And yet he experiences the forgiveness and the grace of God. And his life is utterly transformed from going in this direction of bringing hatred and eradication to being turned completely round to now being a man of love and grace, and forgiveness. And so this whole thing here, I am compelled to tell people, is that I have good news that has changed my life in such a radical way. How can I not at least present it to other people in a way that they too can get a hold of it? It's like you're dying of thirst. You know where the well is. You would, you would tell others, wouldn't you? That's the kind of thing that's going on here. He is utterly compelled to tell them. And so Paul lives, doesn't he, with a real sense of urgency and a weight of concern. I'm compelled. Woe to me if I do not preach this gospel. Some of you I recognize maybe today. Well, some of you I do recognize because we've known each other a long time. And some of you I know your stories. And so you've been around church for a long time. And maybe for some of you became Christians a long time ago. But for some of us maybe in this room, this is a fresh journey. And maybe you've been bribed or lassoed to be here today. I don't know. And you're like, wow, this is interesting. Well, when I first became a Christian, I was 17 and a half years old. And I had... A fairly radical encounter with God. Up until that point, I had philosophized about a whole load of things. I'd thought about it. I'd been to church. I recognized in my parents' life that um, it seemed like faith was very real to them. And yet in my life, 
I hadn't had an experience that really convinced me. Intellectually, I understood, yes, this could be right. But I needed a tangible experience of God to kind of cement it all together. And that's what happened to me about 17 and a half years old. And in that weekend where I had an experience of God, for the next six months to a year, I used to get into bed at night and sometimes I felt gutted that I hadn't told anybody else about what God had done in my life. And it wasn't out of a place of guilt. It was out of a place of, I cannot believe how real God really is. And so for some of us here this morning who have been Christians a long time, we need to be exposed to the deep passion and the reality of God and God's forgiveness and goodness. Paul lived with the Damascus Road on a daily basis. And as a result, he could not help tell other people and use every opportunity to do that. For some of us, you know, the passion of what God's done in our lives, sometimes it can wane. And sometimes there is just seasons. I had a picture sort of as I was uh, coming here this morning, God was just reminding me of, you know, for some of us, there are times where we've known what that passion feels like. We know the reality of God's truth in our lives. But we've let it sink. And you know, in a shipwreck, How do they bring it to the surface? They take inflatables, don't they? And they put them round the wreck and they blow up the inflatables and it brings the wreck to the surface. For some of us this morning, I want Paul's passion to become your passion again. Now, I can't make that happen. It has to be an internal work and a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we reconnect or connect with God, maybe for the first time ever, and everything goes live, in that moment, you become my mum, and you suddenly are compelled to tell the world. But you see, there's a second half of this passage, isn't it? It's not just about having raw passion. It's about, so if that's the what of Paul's life, it's how does he do it? Or the how is about being sensitive and flexible. Because I'm sure we've all experienced models of people sharing their faith with loads of passion, but very little sensitivity to us. I'm just looking around, even now, some people are recollecting those moments of fire and damnation, probably outside Marquis or whatever that looks like. Do you see what I mean? See, I was was in the pub on... uh, Friday night with a group of mates uh, from my village and we got chatting and they were and they were it was it was great fun because they asked me loads of questions I was I don't know them that well and they said how on earth do you go from hippie art student to sort of minister so I had the brilliant opportunity of taking them through my story and um, we we talked about the passion of life We talked about why I'm passionate about what I do. And we talked about the reality of God breaking in. But their responses were interesting as they began to talk about their experience of church and Christians. And to be brutally honest, a whole bunch of them 
had been these people have loads of passion but very little sensitivity to my situation. See, the Apostle Paul here, though I am free and belong to no man in verse 19, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become a Jew. To the Gentile, I become a Gentile. And to the weak, I become weak. I become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. He's saying, I am passionate about seeing my community, my nation and my city encounter Jesus. But I am going to do this by listening and hearing and caring for people and then appropriately communicating life and the truth of Jesus. And so what does he do? How does he do it to the Jews? Well, if you read in Acts chapter 17, when he comes to um, Thessaloniki, it says that what he did was he went to the Jewish synagogue and he did that in every city just about he went to. Why? Because he's passionate about his own people. And so he would go there probably because Paul was trained as a rabbi and a lawyer. He probably rocked up in rabbinical robes you know, and people kind of knew him because he was a bit of a bigwig back in Jerusalem. And he used that, even his dress, as an opportunity to keep the door to the Jewish community wide and open. And then it says, and he would reason from Scripture. And the reason he would reason from Scripture is because there was a common, a common, a common story, if you like. You see, Paul wasn't saying, hey, guys. The Jesus thing is totally new. He was saying the Jesus story is a continuation of the story that we know. Jesus is the next Moses, if you like. He's the next David, King David. He's dealt with Goliath in a whole new way. You see, Paul said to the Jews, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises that you've been hoping for. And he speaks to them in a language they understand. And he uses a book that they're familiar with. So he kind of is very flexible. So all of this passion then is not just raw passion. It's thought through argument into a context to convince them of who Jesus really is. And then when he goes to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, well, he does something really different. He doesn't start with the Bible. He's walking around the city and he's observing people's um, rhythm of life. And in the, in, in, when he comes to the city called Athens, he, the first thing he says to people is, I notice that you're very religious people. You're very spiritual. You've got a hunger to connect with the supernatural. So what does he do? In that moment, he affirms people's spiritual journeys. I don't know where you are today, but my guess is this. If you're in church, you've probably not rejected spirituality. If you're here, it's because there's something about spirituality and in particular the Christian faith that is bugging you or you want to understand more or is there real power in this thing? If Paul was here, I think he would affirm your journey. And that's what he does in, in, in Athens. And he's then invited to have more dialogue and conversation. So to the Jew, he becomes the most Jewish he can be. To the Gentile, he becomes the most Gentile kind of person, but doesn't um, compromise his own morality. 
So there are no places we can go where God doesn't operate. And then to the weak, finally, he says, I've become weak. I don't know about you, but as I read Paul's life, he never really introduces himself as this incredibly strong leader. Nearly always, he's saying, hey, I came to you in weakness and in suffering or in trembling, I came to you. I'm not really a mega strong person. He's saying, I come to you in weakness uh, and a nervousness sometimes because this isn't about me. It's about the God that changed me. I think leaders that walk with weakness become very accessible people. You know, the world often looks at Christians and go, and they go, oh, you've got it all together. You look, you're perfect. I can't come to church because my life is an absolute mess. What we would say to you here from City Church's perspective is this. Our church is full of people in a mess, including sometimes us as leaders. We're not the finished article. Paul says, I'm in a race and I've still got a long way to go, but God's faithful and he's at work in me. Listen, if if you're new to church, then this is a great place to be because we're all in process. And Paul would be saying to you, I come to you in weakness because my God is strong and wants to get alongside you, work with you and to help you and to grow you. And so this passage is about Paul's passion, passion that God wants to break in to all of our lives. We don't have to do it on our own. Passion needs direction and flexibility and sensitivity. And that's what Paul does. I want to leave you with this image. In Luke chapter 15, and I think this is a good image or a good model of what I believe us as a church, City Church in particular, wants to do. In Luke chapter 15, there's a story that Jesus um, teaches. And, and, and it's about a king who's going to throw a great banquet. And so the king gets the banquet ready. The food is all laid out. Everyone's very passionate and excited about that. And then he gets his messengers and his people together, his servants. And he says, go out now into the community and tell them this banquet is ready for them. And so the messengers, if you like, they go out into the town to tell them that they've been invited to come to the king's banquet. Now, the reality is some people reject the king's banquet, but some don't. And I had this image of, I think... How, if I was one of those servants, if Paul was one of those servants, how would he do it? Well, I think he would do this. I think he'd do what they do in Costco. You know, I love Costco. It's a little bit, I have a weakness for Costco. I keep saying to Victoria, I, in fact, I was, I'll just tell you this, it's a bit funny. I was in Costco and I was trying to phone Victoria, my wife, because we were getting some shopping in. And you know that. Anyone else get this? It's deeply frustrating when you phone the wife and she doesn't pick up. Yeah? It's like, you've, you've got a phone. Use it. You know? Anyway, so, I, so I, I can say this because, you know, she's nice and gracious to me. So I'm phoning her. She doesn't pick up. So you know what I did? I took a photo of a canoe. Co- Costco. You know, a canoe. And then I texted her and went, you didn't pick up, so I bought this. I keep threatening to do that. So, you know, in Costco, you're walking around. I love it because you walk in and they go, ah, oh, sir, cup of coffee? 
Mm. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you very much. Donut? Yes, please. They're really health conscious. You know, and then as you walk around the shop, they've got those little tables. I have to be careful because I think when I said this in the South, we've got those little people. No, <laughs> no, it's, the tables are out, aren't they? And they've got those little tasters. So, you know, and they're there going, would you like a little bit of chicken something or other? Or here, try our new pastry. You know, and so you go around Costco, you're having your coffee and eating your donut and you're eating this little thing here and you're like, Mmm, that's really good. Why we're getting a taste of something to convince us to go and buy the product. See, when the servants were sent out, I reckon they grabbed some of the food. They grabbed some of what the kingdom of God is all about. And when now, when they're out convincing Thomas, they don't just sort of say, here's the invite for the, for the banquet. They go, Thomas, Taste this. It's amazing. Have a taste of this from the table of the king. And when Thomas gets a taste of that, he's like, that is genuine. It's the real deal. I want to go. And then sometimes, it, so in terms of when we're operating or chat, chatting to people, sometimes it's not about food. It's about, how are you doing, Lauren? You're not well. Let me give you a taste of the banquet table. Let me pray for you. Because we believe in a God and a king who has a banquet table that can heal. So in this time, now it's about compassion, isn't it? And to see somebody restored. And so it becomes very easy and gentle to go, here, have a taste of the kingdom of God. We want to pray now that God would heal you. And so sometimes it's a word of wisdom. Sometimes it is just deep compassion. Do you know what? More and more I'm realizing, you know, on this banquet table is great joy. But there's also times when we cry alongside people when they're in trouble and the wheels have come off in life, you get alongside them. Why? Because at this table is a compassionate Jesus who says, I'm, I, I, I see that, I'm caring about that, and my messengers are there alongside them. You see, Paul is deeply passionate. He wants to see the kingdom of God come and for people to taste the truth of who Jesus is. And this morning, I want to give you guys the opportunity to taste something of the goodness and the truth of who Jesus is. Today, you might not be well, and you'd love it. A taste of the table is that, oh, I have been wrestling with this issue for years. God, please, would you break in and do something? And maybe for some of us, we've had an intellectual understanding of faith, and now it's time for a heart encounter. Passion speaks not just to the head, it speaks to the heart. When I fell in love with my wife, Victoria, I didn't just have an intellectual experience. I fell in love in the heart. And that's what God wants from us. And so this morning, wherever you're at, I believe that Paul's passion should become our passion. And the best way for that ever to happen is to have an encounter with Jesus who loves us and has a plan for us and a future. Why don't we stand for a second? Maybe the band could come. It is warm in here, isn't it? Woo! See, we're not very religious. Right now, we could put on some kind of tinkly music. Mm, Holy Spirit, come. We're not going to do that. We're just really real. And God is God. And maybe this morning, you'd just love to encounter him afresh. Let me pray for us. And, um, and then we'll hand back to Lauren. And, and, and this morning, don't go home. Um, if you know that God's spoken to you, uh, we'd love to maybe pray with you, stand with you. We're not going to do anything weird with you. 
just love to say, here's a taste of the kingdom. And maybe down here, is that, where, where do you guys, we haven't decided yet. So there's a little bit of space down here. You can get a glass of water at the same time. Um, come and, and we'd just love to maybe stand with you and to pray with you this morning if God's spoken to you. So Father, we thank you that we can come as family. We thank you that you have uh, an amazing, generous table available to us. Pray for us today, those that would just love a fresh touch from you. Maybe it is physical healing. We pray for that. Maybe for some of us, we need to catch Paul's passion again. 